0: So like I said earlier, we are starting uh, Genesis. And the word uh, for Genesis in the Hebrew translated really means in the beginning. In the beginning. It's an appropriate name, is it not? I mean, it's the beginning of history is the story that it begins to tell. So it provides a foundation uh, for us on which the rest of the Bible sits. If you don't have Genesis, the Bible would very much just be a house of cards. The Bible would very much just be like a tree without roots. And so the reason I chose this book was in many ways it fits kind of the theme of the year for us as a church. That as a church that we want to send down roots. We've been around for seven years. We started out with a clear vision of being a church for the neighborhood. We started out with this thick web of friendships that has been growing and as we've matured, there's a need to go beyond just vision clarity. There's a need to go beyond relational connections to provide something stable so that our church is around for generations, so our church can withstand leadership transitions. And I'm not leaving, by the way. So that we can withstand cultural shifts, so that we can withstand a possible another global pandemic, to send down roots so that we can withstand attacks from the evil one so here we are, setting down roots as a church for this year, and we're doing it in some really pragmatic ways. We're doing it by investing more in this building. We're doing it by training up these new leaders, like I mentioned earlier. We're doing it by focusing our attention on the ministry to our children. So Genesis fits right in. Because what Genesis does is that gives us roots as Christians on what we are to believe about God, ourselves, and our world. So when you see the book of Genesis, it presents a very different picture of God than the gods that were portrayed to the Israelites in the surrounding cultures. The other cultures, the ancient Near East, had a very different system of gods. They were polytheistic. They had multiple gods. And here the creation account, you have one god. You see in Genesis, putting forth a very different god, not just of the gods, of the ancient Near East, but the gods that we're presented with different than the God we're presented with in the wider culture, a God that's very different than the God that's presented to us in the American South and the Christian subculture too. In the book of Genesis, we see a doctrine of creation that's different than what we see believed out in the world, that nature isn't just accidental, that it has real value. In the book of Genesis, we see a doctrine of mankind that we're both awful and beautiful. That we're made in his image, but we're also marred by sin. So if you want stability in your life, Genesis will deliver. Yet many times we don't ever take Genesis very seriously because there are some things that seem very strange to us in the book of Genesis. Now maybe I'm just going to put out my own insecurity about preaching the book of Genesis here. But it's intimidating to get to the book of Genesis. One, it's long. Two, it says creation happened in six days. It says that a woman was created by a man's rib. It says that sons of man married, or sons of God married daughters of man. It says that there's a worldwide flood that had a floating zoo. It tells stories of incest, murder, betrayal, wrongful arrest, and interpretation of dreams. Strange things for us in 2022 in America. But when we focus on these strange things, we're demanding that the book answer questions that maybe it's not interested in answering. The questions that we bring are valid. We're not going to skirt the parts of Genesis that are difficult to interpret, but we are going to spend our time letting Genesis correct our vision of who God is, who we are, and what our world's like. So it's really hard to overstate the importance of Genesis for our church today. So what I'm hoping to do is preach through the chapters 1 through 11 during much of the ministry year, leading up to Easter with the exception of Christmas season. And today, we're only looking at the first two verses. Now, I'm not going to be doing two verses a week, just two verses the first Sunday. Otherwise, we'd be in Genesis 1 until, like, spring break, so... Uh, Let's read together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Word of the Lord. Right there in the first two verses, you see a word repeated once in verse 1 and once in verse 2. It's the word God It comes from the Hebrew word Elohim. And the word Elohim, the word for God in Genesis chapter 1, it's used 35 times in 31 verses. So Genesis chapter 1 is first and foremost a book about God. A chapter about God. What I want to do is I want to mine all we can out of these first two verses about the character of God and what he's like. I want us to see one thing in verse 1. And another in verse 2. The thing I want you to see in verse 1 is that God is powerful. He's powerful. Verse 1 is just a summary statement. It just tells you what happens in verses 3 to 31. If you were to read verses 3 to 31, you'll see that God does indeed create the heavens and the earth. By using this term, these terms, heavens and earth, he's putting two contrasting things in creation together in order to refer to the whole. The author is saying that the whole universe is created by God. And this word for create is an important word. It's a word that it's an activity where God is always the subject. Man is never the subject. Man does not create. Only God engages here. Now, mankind, they, can fashion, can craft, can make, but cannot create. See, create means to bring something from nothing. This word create, when it's used, the result is always something perfect or new or fresh or whole. And what's even more fascinating, when you look at the ver- the, this verb create in Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that creating doesn't make God tired. Creating doesn't make God sweat. Creating takes little to no exertion for God, for him to make things come into being. In fact, the only thing that's required of God to make things come to be are words. Fascinating. See, God as creator, it's a daring claim. It's an assertion that nothing existed before God spoke. And this was an attack on the way all the cultures around Israel thought about what God was like. See, all those other cultures, the ancient Near East, they all, all, all had stories about how creation came into being. But for them, it was just myths. It was where their multiple gods fought one another and they had conflict, and somehow that fight, that conflict, gave birth to what they viewed as civilization. And then here comes Genesis 1 alongside those myths and stands in stark contrast. Well, think about what this claim of God being creator or what it comes into our context, our culture. How does it sound different than what stories we hear about how creation came into being? See for us, a lot of times creation is really just an accident. It's this underlying belief that only the only real things that we encounter are material or physical. It's believed that all of existence can be naturally explained. Or if we have a belief in a God, it's, it's a relatively private matter. And if you bring that belief into the public realm, it just breeds intolerance or even violence. It's a daring claim for God to be creator because we believe that the knowledge of God isn't even possible. Our culture just believes that each person's spirituality is as valid as every other person. As long as it doesn't infringe on another's belief or lifestyle, then It's good. So when you bring in this belief that God is creator along all these other ways of viewing the world, it's a daring claim. Now some of you might say, well, Marsh, I'm not that smart. I'm not an atheist. I- I'm not necessarily trying to like, integrate faith and science real intimately together. I just have this overall belief that there's a God. I don't see what's the big deal. God is creator for me is just a given. But I would like to show you that God being creator has a massive impact on your day-to-day life. Well, for one, when you read the Old Testament, no one was an atheist in the ancient Near East. (laughs) Everyone believed in a God, the God of the Bible, or they believed in multiple gods. They had this whole pantheon of gods that they believed in. And so when the Old Testament... ...goes about talking about God creating the world... ...it doesn't do so in a didactic fashion... ...it doesn't do so in an apologetic fashion... ...in the way that we do today. When the Old Testament talks about creation... ...it is almost always found in the form of a poem. You see it in Job 38... ...you see it in Psalm 19, Psalm 33, Psalm 136... ...Isaiah 40, Isaiah 45. All are poems... And those mentions are almost all of the instances of God doing creation in the whole Old Testament. They're poems. So there's this sense of wonder and awe that one experiences when we see that this all-powerful God has made himself visible within creation. So when is the last time you stood in awe of God's creation? Yesterday, uh, me, Jen, and the girls went down to Nashville for a funeral, uh, Betsy, Justin's wife's uh, father, uh, passed away about a month ago, and he had his funeral service yesterday. And as we were driving home from Nashville and driving up the Bluegrass Parkway, uh, the girls were on their screens. I mean, they loved yesterday; they were just on their screens for like seven hours straight. And um, and when we were driving on the Bluegrass Parkway, Jen and I were just stunned by the beauty of Central Kentucky, and we said, "Flip those screens over, and we want you to look." Because we were stunned by the beauty that we saw. I was stunned last weekend. I I went to the Cincinnati Zoo with my dad and and Brooksy, and uh, we saw. I've been to the zoo. I mean, so many times I can't even count. Grew up in Northern Kentucky. Now my kids love going to the zoo. I've been to the zoo a lot, and we saw the Eurasian eagle owl. I've never seen the Eurasian eagle owl before. Somehow at the Cincinnati Zoo. But I stood there and couldn't believe that God could make something so beautiful. Now, I, I was stopped dead in my tracks in both these instances. I didn't start necessarily belting out a Justin Carlson tune, but I was acutely aware of the power of God in these moments as I enjoyed creation. So God being the creator of heaven and earth is a big deal for you and me. It's a big deal today. It's also a big deal because knowing this, believing this, enables you to submit to him. I mean, think about it. The sentence says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. This statement can only be uttered from God's perspective. Humans can only know what things were like in the beginning if someone who is there tells them. And God does that for me and you. And it's really good news. And it's good news because we know where we have come from. And we don't have to define ourselves anymore. See, a lot of us, you may not know what's going on in the background of your life. Is that you're trying to form your own identity. And as you... Form your own identity. You need others to see the identity that you're forming and that you need them to affirm it. In order for people to see your identity, in order for people to get to see your identity, you've got to express yourself. And then the more people who witness and then affirm your identity, the more secure you feel. Doesn't that sound burdensome to you? I mean, this whole idea of being authentic of interpreting meaning of making our own moral judgments it sounds distressing to me but if you are given an identity by someone outside of yourself namely an all-powerful creator then you're free not to do whatever pleases you but you're free to submit to the purposes of your life that are fitting for the way that you were created see there are lots of environments that we as humans aren't created for we're not Created to spend our lives underneath the water. We'll die. We're not created to fly through the air like a bird. And you aren't made to discover or determine your own identity either. You have an all-powerful creator who made you. And he made you with certain purposes that we're going to spend a lot of time talking about in the weeks to come. And when you submit to those purposes, you will find freedom. And that changes your life today, even if you're not into apologetics and science. So God being your creator is a big deal for you. That's verse 1. Now I want you to look at verse 2. See something different about God here in verse 2? Verse 2 is this scene of preparation, something momentous is about ready to happen. You've got the Spirit hovering over the waters. And the waters are described as without form and void and dark. And each of these words, without form, void, and darkness, they're all important. You've got these two words, without form and void, they're they're put together, aren't they? And when you put them together, they're speaking to the fact that there's a mass that's uninhabited and that's empty. And these two words, without form and empty, are used in two other places in the Old Testament. One is Jeremiah 4, and the other one is Isaiah 34. In both these texts, God is threatening his people that he will return them to a state of nothingness, to a state of Genesis 1-2, unless they repent. So these terms aren't necessarily to be viewed as positive. They're certainly not viewed to be neutral. Well, much can be same for the can be said for the term darkness. Darkness in the Old Testament is a term signifying disorder or chaos. So you put all of this together and you have a situation in verse 2 where life isn't possible. All you have there in verse 2 is you have an unformed, jumbled disarray. But after six days, after God has exerted his creative power, this... Jumbled, unformed disarray transforms into something that's ordered and fertile. It's full of life and beauty. But do you see how that transformation comes to be? It comes to be because the Spirit of God hovers over it. The Spirit of God hovers over the without form, void, dark waters. This word for hover is only used one other time in the Old Testament. It's used in Deuteronomy 32 and it's speaking of a metaphor where an eagle expands its wings over its young who are nesting in order to protect them from death to ensure that life continues for the eaglets. It's an intimate picture. So what you see here in verse 2 is a God who hovers over a lifeless, disordered mass to bring about life And he does so by getting really close to it. So we see that there's a personal God here alongside the powerful God of verse 1. And he's a personal God who proves over and over and over again throughout the scriptures that he's not afraid of getting close to mess, of getting close to desolation. You see it just a few verses later with Adam, where God gathers up some dust... He gets really close to the dirt, and he breathes into it, and all of a sudden, Adam is created. So here's a God who's willing to get dusty to bring about life. You see God do this again with Moses. Moses has fled to the wilderness after having murdered an Egyptian, and he's in a dark place among a dark people, and then God gets really close to him. God gets personal with him and appears in a burning bush. See, God is willing to get close to a murderer. He does it with the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel after they're delivered out of Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea. They're in the desert and they're just grumbling and complaining all day and all night. Their hearts are hard, their hearts are dark. But God was present with them. He traveled with them in a cloud by day and fire by night. So God remains present with these moany whiners like the Israelites. But the clearest picture we have of a God who's willing to get close to mess, a God who's willing to get close to desolation, is what we see in Jesus. Jesus takes on a frail human body that's susceptible to disease and death. You see Jesus who's rejected at every turn, because of the darkness of mankind's heart. You see Jesus who spends his day ministering to poor people, to sick people, to hurting people, to messy people, to a desolate people. You see Jesus who ultimately experienced utter darkness and died a cruel death on a Roman cross. Yet just as the Spirit hovered over the without form, void, and dark waters, The Spirit hovered over Jesus' lifeless body, according to Romans 6, and brought Jesus back to life. See, if I had to guess, I bet a lot of you, you came to church today precisely because you sensed that your life was somehow formless and without void. You sensed that there was this general darkness that pervaded over you. And you came to church and you needed some hope. You came to church and you thought, is God going to have anything to do with me with the mess I've made of my life? Can God have anything to do with me in my desolation? And if you read verse 2, you should say, yep. Verse 2 sounds a lot like my life. And the good news is that the Spirit will hover over you and make you into a new creation, He will get really close to you like a mother eagle to her young. He will get really close to the dust of your life and breathe into the nostrils of your soul to make you new. That's how personal God is. See, you need both these truths. You need to see the God in verse 1 who's all-powerful, who created the heavens and the earth by the power of his word. And you need, verse 2, a God who's personal, who gets really close. See, if you only have a God who's powerful, you won't pray. You won't be able to conceptualize of him being able to enter into the details of your life. But if you only have a personal God, you only have a God who can sit with you, but does not have the power to change you or change your circumstances. So we need to hold these two together as church. And when we hold these two things together, we can face suffering with confidence. We can live our day in and day out lives with hope. Because we know that there's a God who, yes, created all things. But also maintains our lives. So as we look at the book of Genesis, may we have our picture of God changed into something that's more true something that's more beautiful, just something that's better. Let's pray. Mm -hmm. Father, we thank you for this. Lord, I I pray that you help us see what's really here in the text. Lord, that you would really help us see just how hopeless we are without you. but Lord, that you are willing uh, to enter into our world and hover over us and bring about life. I want to thank you for your grace. In Christ's name, amen.